Matthew chapter 1. Brian was just reminding me the last time we had Christmas on a Sunday, we got like two and a half feet of snow that day. There was so much snow on Christmas Day. Do you guys know the, the um, most popular song um, ever in the history of music? It was recorded in the 1940s by Ben Crosby. And the song is, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. And so, um, you know, sometimes we're, we're dreaming of a white Christmas and you look outside and there's no snow. You know, I always feel like Lydia and I, we come from Southern California. So we, we're like, man, if we're going to live here and it's going to be this cold, we should at least get some snow on Christmas, you know. <laughs> One year it rained on Christmas. And so you wanted a white Christmas and Ben Crosby must have got something right. Bing. Ben? Bing. Bing. He was from the 40s. What do I know? <laughs> Bing Crosby, that we're dreaming of a white Christmas. Well, I bring that up because in our story today, that last night we, um, we looked at the, at the birth of Christ through Luke's gospel. Now, um, what's fascinating is that all four gospels deal with, and, and in God, John's gospel that we're studying on Sunday morning, they deal in detail about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But only, if you'll, if you'll notice, only in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel do they even mention the birth of Christ. In Mark's gospel, he starts right out at, the, at, the, at John the Baptist and Jesus as an adult. He goes right into the temptation, right into Jesus' first day of healing Peter's mother and those things. In John's gospel, he goes way, 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 way back. And he says, in the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, he tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's called the incarnation of Christ. We understand that Jesus was not born for the first time in a manger. And Well, he was born for the first time in a manger in Bethlehem, but that wasn't his beginning. And that's why John emphasizes in his gospel that in the beginning, talking about not even Genesis 1-1 when it says in the beginning God created, Jesus' beginning in John 1 goes back farther than Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, because that would have been the beginning of time. Jesus existed before time. The Bible says that Jesus' um, death on a cross and God's plan for him to die on a cross was from before um, the foundations of the world, it says, that God ordained that Jesus would come and he would die on a cross. And so today I want to share with you guys a little bit out of Matthew's gospel. And what we didn't get in Luke's gospel was um, Joseph as being a key character. And so today we're going to see in, in Matthew's account of, of the birth of Christ, we're going to see the, really where, where there's a big emphasis on Joseph and Joseph's role. Now what's fascinating is that um, Joseph kind of disappears off the, the biblical narrative. You don't find him anywhere else in the gospels. Um, when Jesus is 12, do you remember the story? Mary and Joseph would take Jesus every year, as was Jewish custom. Where would they take Jesus every year? To Jerusalem. Where did they live? Where did Jesus grow up? In Nazareth. Born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. Born in Bethlehem, fled to Egypt. God called, he said, I called my son out of Egypt. And Jesus was a refugee in Egypt. So remember that when you're considering other refugees and how we should treat them and how we should love them. That our, our very Savior was a refugee and the Egyptian people kept him and, and kept him safe there in Egypt for those years. And then God called him back. And when he got back, they didn't go back to Bethlehem. They went to Nazareth. And, the, and Jesus grew up in a little town called Nazareth. 
Now, Nazareth, they say the population of Nazareth could have been as few as 50 people when Jesus grew up there. Do you remember when Jesus called Nathaniel and, and, um, and they, they were telling him Jesus of Nazareth? What did Nathaniel say about Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? There was no community buildings. There was no um, city buildings. There was no parks. There was no town. There was really no structure, no infrastructure. Nazareth was legitimately a little hole in the wall with a few people, and that's where Jesus was raised. And we, we believe that um, his, his dad, Joseph, was a carpenter. And, and, and the fact that Jesus was a carpenter is kind of um, spoken out of silence or assumed that naturally a, a Jewish boy would have raised and, and, and traded with his dad, learned the trade of his dad, I should say, and so that he would have been a carpenter. What kind of carpenter? Well, um, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I, I imagine that, you know, he was a craftsman. Maybe he made in the, in the, the movie The Chosen, he's making all kinds of stuff, he's making chairs and um, in the, the, other, well, the movie The Passion of the Christ, he makes that table, and it's a tall table, and they didn't have tall tables in those days, and he was, like, inventing this tall table idea. Um, but maybe he, maybe he made a yoke. The yoke was the, the, the thing that would go around the ox's neck that you would tie the plow to, and it had to be crafted and fit perfectly. And I guarantee you that would be one happy ox if Jesus crafted his yoke because it would have been perfect, and it would have fit perfect. When Jesus made fish, on the Sea of Galilee after his resurrection and the disciples came and he had a little fire there and he barbecued some fish for him. I would love to taste that because I guarantee you it was seasoned to perfection and cooked to perfection if Jesus cooked it there on the beach. But anyways, so back to Joseph and our story. Now, I'm going to point out to you guys. Let me highlight just something quickly and then we'll go through it. So if you have your Bibles, look at verse number 20 of Matthew chapter 1. And it says, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Everybody read those next three words for me. Okay, now those of you that aren't looking at your Bible that heard what they said, repeat them to me. In a dream. Okay, now turn your page if you need to, and let's find verse number 13 of chapter 2. And it says, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. Everybody appeared to Joseph how? In a dream. Okay, now let's look at verse 19 of chapter 2. And when Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And then let's look at verse 22. And it says, Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned by God. One, two, three, four. You know, you know Joseph was named after the Joseph of the Old Testament? And what is the Joseph of the Old Testament known for? He was in, not only did he have dreams, remember he had the dream and he said he sat down at the dinner table with his 12 brothers and, and his father and his mother and he said, I had a dream. And, and the, 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 the stars bowed down to me, meaning his brothers. And then they're like, you know, they're getting mad. You know, they're going to throw him in a hole and take his coat and put blood on it. And they, they're done after this dream, this, this dreamer Joseph. And then that, they probably could have survived when he said the stars bowed down to me. But then he said, the sun and the moon bowed. And then they knew that was dad and mom. Like, that, there's no way. Jewish culture, like, the patriarch doesn't bow down to anybody. That's it for this kid. He's done. And Joseph said, the sun and the moon bowed down to me. And then, and then what happened in the end of Joseph's life? The sun and the moon bowed down to him. And the stars, and the stars bowed down to him, his brothers, in fulfillment of that dream. And then Joseph not only had dreams, but he was an interpreter of dreams. You remember when he was in prison? 
and, and the Pharaoh had a dream, and, and, and they eventually called Joseph to interpret the Pharaoh's dream, and that's how he got raised to position and made the plan. And um, so Joseph, which I didn't, I didn't know that I caught this in the, in the, in the narrative of Jesus' birth before, that the Joseph and Mary, the royal family here, Jesus, Joseph, and Mary, that four dreams just in these chapters as God continued to appear to him in a dream. Now, now, what we're going to see is that every time, you know, we have a dream, maybe you have a dream in your life about, you know, success in business and in ventures and relationships and whatever it is, and sometimes, you know, we, we, uh, we're, we're, we're dreaming of a white Christmas, but it only rains. Sometimes our dreams don't always come true, but what, what we have as Christians that makes us unique and what we have is that Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. That's a promise, just like the promise that my God will supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus. Everything you need, that you are blessed abundantly with all spiritual blessings under heaven, the Bible says of you. And those promises, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, to give you a future and a hope. We put those on bumper stickers, we put those on our fridge, we put those on the thing. But the other promise where Jesus says, in this life you will have tribulation, we don't always put that one on a bumper sticker. We don't always count on that one in the great promises of God. But, but the, here's the thing that, that makes it so beautiful, is that when life disappoints us, God has given us a different perspective as Christ followers. That there's a big picture at play and that big picture, it helps us get through the, the, the rain, when it's raining on Christmas instead of snowing. When we have a dream like Joseph, and every one of Joseph's dreams, I'm sure were, you know, he was excited. An angel appears to him in a dream. And then I'm going to read the narrative. And as I read it, you'll see that every time he has a dream, something bad happens right after. It doesn't always go the way that he planned it. Now, I want to be super careful, right? Because the last thing I want to do on Christmas Day is get up here and tell you that you have great dreams, but it's going to rain. <laughs> That's not the message. That's not the message. It, it, it does rain sometimes in our lives. But the message is the Bible says that we have a joy that comes from knowing Jesus that surpasses understanding. Something I tell you guys all the time, and I think it's super important for you to be reminded of this, that as you want to share your faith with other people, your number one effective witnessing tool that you have to be effective in sharing the gospel is your joy. Because people don't want to serve the God you serve if you're miserable all the time. If you're grumpy about everything. If you hate everything. If you got a, a little taste of the water boy's mom and everything is of the devil. It's the devil. It's the devil that did it. No, mama, it's because of they. What is it? They do lo ambaglada or something. Whatever it is. I should ask you, Yogi, you'd tell me what it is. But, you know, when we have that sourness about us and we carry ourselves grumpy and, and when things do happen, when we want it to, we want it to, when we're dreaming of a white Christmas and we wake up to rain, guess what we do as believers? We smile. We praise God. We have joy. We, we find something. And when people see that in you, that's what makes them want to be a Christian. That's what makes them want to follow the God that you follow, is that you go through, and because what they're not going to see and what's not promised to you is that as a Christian, your life is just Disneyland. If that's the way God did it, that would work too. Then they would look at your life, and you never had anything bad happen, and you were always Disneyland. They'd be great. I just I want to do that, but that's not what God did. He said your life, in some ways, is going to resemble 
other peoples where we're going to go through lows and highs. And what you find is Genesis to Revelation, the people that were the closest to God went through many, many rough days. But the narrative of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is that it, it might be raining outside, but God is doing something in our lives. There's a big picture. This life is not our home. We're going to heaven. The God of heaven is orchestrating. He's working in your life. He's preparing you for something. He's teaching you something. He's in control. That all things, and this is a promise you can put on a bumper sticker, all things do what? Work together for the good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purposes. All things work together for good. And so in Joseph's life, when he has these dreams and they don't work out all the time, the reason is, is because God is working through the life of Jesus to fulfill 300 prophecies from the Old Testament. And everything that Joseph faces is God working a big picture out in his life. And, and Joseph just, he rolls with it, man. And, and I'm sure he had joy in his life. And, and, and again, you know, when Jesus was 12 years old and he went to the temple, we see Joseph there and a part of that story. But then after that, sometime by the time Jesus starts his earthly ministry, you don't see Jesus anymore. You see Mary. Mary appears several times in the, in the ministry of Jesus. And then Mary is there at the foot of the cross. And, and Jesus on the cross tells his disciple John to take care of his mother. And then Mary disappears. And we don't see Mary in the, in the, in the rest of the New Testament. Do you know what the last recorded words of Mary are in the Bible? They're at the wedding in Cana. Now, we see Mary long after the wedding in Cana. We see her at the cross. We see her. That's the beginning of the three years. We see her through the three years. We see her at the cross, and then we don't see her again. But the last recorded words um, in the narrative of Mary in your Bible is when they're at the wedding of Cana, and Mary is talking to the servants and, and, and Jesus tells them to fill the water pots full of water. And Mary says to the servants, do what he tells you to do. <laughs> so, you know, do you want to worship Mary? Mary wants you to do what Jesus wants you to do. All right. Um, let's, let's look at, let's read the narrative and we'll kind of go through it. I've already preached the sermon, so, but let's read the, that was it. That's what I wanted to share with you guys today. So let's, let's read the narrative and I maybe have a couple more highlights. Uh, and then we're definitely going to get you out of here on time and early today. Uh, I said one hour, so we're doing, we're doing well. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. I shared with you guys last night that God loves drama. And there's, there's so much drama in the narrative of Joseph and Mary. Now, that word betrothed there that you find in verse 1, there was three phases of a Jewish wedding. First was the engagement, and the engagement was the arrangement that was made between the two parents. So in Mary and Joseph's case, it's very likely that the parents got together when Mary and Joseph were like in kindergarten. They lived close to each other. They were friends. Their kids were the same age, and they made an arrangement that Mary and Joseph would get married. So now when Mary and Joseph are like in first grade and they're on the playground, they're like, yeah, that's my husband, that's my wife. And then your, your, your arranged marriage by your parents is the engagement. Then the betrothal period is when they come of age, and now it's time. That would be more like what our engagement period would be. 
Because after they get betrothed, um, they have, you have to get divorced out of a betrothal period. Even though the marriage has not been consummated, you haven't gone through the ceremony or the wedding. But, but after the betrothal begins, it requires a writ of divorce to, to end a betrothal. So they would have been engaged at some time in their youth as young children maybe. And then when they're of age, and Mary was, a lot of people believe, about 15 years old when, when, she, when she got pregnant with Jesus um, or in that age. So then the parents decide it's time for them to get married. And then it begins this betrothal period where the husband begins to build on his father's house. And he's there. And, and the husband doesn't know when the wedding ceremony is going to be. A wedding ceremony, a Jewish wedding ceremony will last seven days. There would be a big feast, lots of celebrations that would go on, they would consummate the marriage, and then the marriage would begin. And the, the Jewish wedding ceremony um, tradition was that the, um, during this betrothal period, the husband is preparing the place, and then maybe a year later, you take about a year, sometimes more, maybe a little less, but about after a year, without anybody else knowing, the father would say to the groom, today is the day, go get your bride. And the Bible says that no man knows the day or the hour except for the Father. And it's a picture for us. It's a prophetic model of one day when the Father is going to tell Jesus to come get his bride, which is you and I. And so he would say, go get the bride. That's why the, the virgins in the parable, they had to have their lamps lit and oil ready because you don't know the day. And if the day comes, you have to be ready because it's, it could come any day. The bride had to be ready. The bridesmaids had to be ready. And then in verse number, number 19, it says, And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So um, I like the fact that Joseph is recorded for us as a good man. And when she comes back from a vacation in another town with her, with her cousin Elizabeth, and she's pregnant, she tells Joseph this story, how she got pregnant. I mean, you know, give the guy a little break, right? Your wife comes in and she says, oh, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, I, I haven't been unfaithful. It was an angel and a father and the Lord came on me and, and now I'm going to, I'm, 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 I'm pregnant with God and God's in my stomach. She's like, yeah, lady, whatever. So there was a couple options that Joseph had. Joseph could have, in the betrothal period, because it required divorce and if a woman was found faithful in Jewish law, she was to be stoned. And so if he, he ordered a public trial and she was found guilty, which she would have been with child, they would have stoned her to death. But Joseph chose not to make it public, that he chose to put her away quietly and secretly, that he didn't want to marry her. He decided that she was pregnant and he didn't understand that. And, and yet he didn't want her to be stoned or to be publicly. He was going to allow her to go away in private to be dealt with by her family and his family. And in verse 20, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph's like, oh, she wasn't lying. <laughs> she was telling the truth. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the name Jesus, um, and it says here, God, or, or down in verse 23, God with us. The name Jesus is, um, would be today, commonly would just be Joshua. Um, the Hebrew name means Savior, or, or God is salvation more technically. The first part of it comes from the Yahweh, the Y-H-V-H, Yah, and then the, the Hebrew word Shua, which means salvation, or God is salvation, is what the word of Jesus means. Um, the very simple, skinny um, reduction of the name Jesus, it means Savior. 
that Jesus is the Savior. Our, our English name that, that we use here is Joshua, just like, you know, John and Juan is the same thing. And uh, my son was just in Mexico with the missions team. And something in the Bible, and it was like Juan 316. <laughs> He's like, Juan 316? I was like, yeah, it just means John. So Joshua, and so Jesus, his name will be called Jesus. And again, multiple layers of, 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 of Jesus being God. Uh, Josh shared with us last night in Isaiah 9-6 that his name shall be called Mighty God. That here, um, as we read down, let's read down and we'll talk about it. Um, in verse 22, it says, So this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Hey, I just want to tell you really quickly. It, it is super important that... You turn your phones on, on vibrate while you're in church. No, just kidding, just kidding. Hey, um, listen, the, the deity of Christ, this is not an issue that we can compromise on. And sometimes I think in, 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 in life and in church, we, we want to love people. And so there's certain things where they believe differently and we just want to feel like it's okay. Like they, and it is okay in a lot of things because the Bible tells us that in Romans, that in non-essential issues, we shouldn't argue about those things. You know, the rapture, you guys know my position. I'm very staunch pre-tribulation rapture. If you believe in a mid or a post, that doesn't separate us. That's a non-essential issue. It is what it is. You know, speaking in tongues. I believe in speaking in tongues. If you don't, that's, that's a non-essential issue. That shouldn't separate us. Those things we can be one on and we're together and we love each other and you're welcome here and we have some different opinions on some things. I wouldn't expect any of you to have, share all my opinions, right? Because if everybody shares all my opinions, then one of us is not necessary. So those things are okay. But on the essential issues, it is important that we make a stand. And on the issue that Jesus is God is a place where we have to make a stand. Because it is important. It's not just like, oh, well, it's okay. Like, if Jesus, let me just put it this way. If Jesus is not God, and here's, here's the deal. With every cult, ism, anything outside of born-again Christianity, um, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, everything outside of that, every cult, ism, schism in the world, Satan is ultimately at the top of the pyramid. Because there's only two roads. There's a broad road which Satan directs, and there's thousands of lanes on the broad road which leads you to the wilderness, and there's one lane on Jesus' highway that leads you to salvation. And, and so what Satan does is if he can take the deity of Christ and just move it a little bit. You know, if you talk to your Muslim friends, your Muslim friends will tell you that we believe in Isis, and they call him Isis. He's a prophet. He's mentioned in the Quran six times more than even Muhammad in the Quran. So they, they, they brag about it, that we believe in Jesus. He was a prophet. He was a good man. He's going to come back as a prophet, and he's going to tell you Christians why you were wrong. And, and, they, and they'll say, we believe in Jesus. But, but he's not God, nor is he the son of God. And the, and the highest blasphemy within Islam is that, is that God had a son. And, and so they just take the position of Jesus. They don't have to not believe in Jesus. They just have to believe that Jesus was not God. But listen, if Jesus is not God, we sang a song last night. And in the title of the song, it says, um, what father would give his son for me? And, 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 and if you just, just in the words itself, it can kind of feel like God took his son and threw him out there. It would be like if somebody ran in here right now and they threw a grenade in the middle of the room. And you guys all panicked. But not me. I rushed into action. And I grabbed my oldest son here on the front row, and I threw him on the grenade, and I ran like heck. And then I met you guys all safe in the lobby. And I'm like, hey, I saved all your lives. Ain't I a good father? Ain't I a good pastor? What would you guys say? You're terrible. What does a good father do? He doesn't take his son and throw him on the grenade. What does a good father do? 
A good father jumps on the grenade himself. And so to think that God sent his son and threw his son on a cross while he stayed safe in heaven, it makes God out to be something he's not. But that's not what happened. God, the Bible says God himself died on a cross. God himself died on a hill that he created. Manifested in the incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ. But if Jesus is anything less than God, that makes the father a tyrant. That makes the father not a good father. And, and he has to be, and he is, and he clearly claimed to be the God of heaven. Amen? All right. Um, verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as... Joseph must have liked to sleep a lot because he was always dreaming. He, he's a good guy. No wonder why, they, why God calls him a good man. You know, he understood the value of a nap. And Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him his wife. So Joseph obeyed. And that's a lesson for each one of us, just to obey the things that God says, even when we don't understand them, even when they're difficult, even when we want to see a white Christmas and it's raining outside, that God is still in control and God is orchestrating something bigger. Our wife comes home. We haven't consummated the marriage and she's pregnant. That's not the way we planned it, but God is doing something. And, and did not know, verse 25 her, he did not know her physically, carnally, till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Now in chapter 2, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who is to be born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered the chief priests, the scribes, and the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Did you catch that? The, the, the wise men stopped for directions along the way. Now, they're going to follow the star. They, they would have known. But what Herod did was he called the, the Jewish folks that would have understood the Old Testament, and he called the scribes, and he called the teachers and the people that understand and study these things, and he asked them where the Christ was to be born. And they tell him... He's to be born in Bethlehem. And the wise men are there to inquire. And the wise men are the only ones in this narrative that are going to make the short jaunt down to Bethlehem to see Jesus. Now, why didn't the religious people who that was their very life and they understood that, that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem, why didn't they go and check it out for themselves? And again, that's what religion does. But the wise ones still seek him. And the shepherds, they made the journey to go find Jesus. But these folks, unfortunately, they wouldn't make the journey. In verse 4, when he, and when he had gathered all the chief priests, scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, Micah 5, 2, if you're taking notes, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Like, yeah, like what kind of worship was that? He's about to put babies on his end of a spike. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. Till it came and stood over where the young child was. You guys want a great Christmas movie to watch tonight? Look up. <laughs> My daughter's listening to me preach. I love it. All right. Good girl. Um, the Star of Bethlehem. So good. 
it's it's kind of like narrative, and it's not necessarily like a, but it's it's very good. It kind of tells the story of this star. In verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How many, how many uh, wise men were there? <laughs> three. Yeah, we even, made, we even wrote a song about it, the three wise men. And I don't know why this stuff, I shouldn't ruin your Christmas with this stuff, but Funny, interesting and funny enough, the Bible never tells us how many wise men there was. It tells us there was three gifts, so we always assume there was three wise men. But it could have been six, it could have been seven, it could have been one, two, three um, wise men, M-E-N. So I guess there was multiple, but the Bible never says three wise men. That's something that we've always just assumed because of the three gifts. Now we know that the gifts are very important. They're very prophetic, right? They gave him gold because he was going to be a king. They gave him frankincense and, and myrrh for his um, life, the anointing of the Holy Spirit in his life and his ministry, and the myrrh for his burial, death, and resurrection. So they gave him gifts because he was a king, because he was going to live a, a life and lead us to God, and because he was going to die on a cross and raise again the third day. And so those three gifts were prophetic. And again, um, we, we give gifts to Jesus on Christmas just like they did. And I told you guys last night, again, I'm ruining all your Christmas narratives today. But um, look, look at what it says really quickly um, in verse number 11. And when they came into what? Where did the wise men come? You guys looking at it? In the house. Wasn't Jesus born in a stable and laid in a feeding trough? So was there a house where Jesus was born? So obviously the wise men didn't show up the same night the shepherds did. He's in a house, and then when Herod goes to kill the babies, determining on the time of the wise men, it says that he's going to kill all the babies that were two years old and younger. So Jesus was anywhere between newborn and two years old, enough time that Mary and Joseph had moved into a house, and, and Jesus was there, and they came to the house. So the wise men didn't, they weren't there in the manger scene. They were just there a little bit later. Not an important detail, but it is the detail. And then in verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream, they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. <coughs> now when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and he departed for Egypt. So they, they, they left with haste. They left immediately. And, and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. So again, God is orchestrating the narrative of the prophecies and is sending Jesus to Egypt. He's going to call him back out of Egypt. In verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem. And all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So this is um, reminiscent of, of and, and, and um, foretelling in Moses' life, because the same thing happened when Moses, the deliverer of Israel, was born. Jesus, the Savior of the world, the deliverer of the world, was born that um, the Pharaoh killed all the babies, all the male babies. And, and Herod is going to do the same thing. And again, it's, it's very, very dark, right, this, this, this fact this Bible fact of what Herod did because they literally would go house to house and, and put the babies on their spears. And so um, 
kind of a dark history of, of you know, it's demonic, right? It's evil, and it's, um, it's the reality of, of the hatred of Satan has towards Jesus. And then, verse 17, was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamenting, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, in a dream in Egypt, saying, arise. That's just a good Bible word there. When God tells you to arise, there's something good to be done. Take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. And then he arose and he took the young child and his mother and he came to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go again back to Bethlehem and being warned by God, in a dream, he turned aside into the region of the Galilee, and he came and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, he shall be called a Nazarene. And so um, Nazareth is, is a village in, um, near the Sea of Galilee, and it's not on the sea or close to the water, but it's in the Galilee region. They just call that entire northern region of Israel the Galilee region, anywhere around the Galilee Jesus would have, in his earthly ministry, would have spent most of his time in a city called Capernaum, where Peter is from, and that's right on the sea. So when we go to Israel, we go to this, this, this place, big, big sign when you first walk in, city of Jesus, or town of Jesus, called Capernaum, where Capernaum is, where Peter's ruins are, and it is right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus would have kind of made his home base there in Capernaum, but where he grew up was a little bit off in that same area, but a little bit off from there in a, in a village called Nazareth. Amen? Amen. I did it. It's not 11 o'clock yet. Let's, let's stand together. One hour. I made good. Hey, we love you guys. We pray the rest of your Christmas goes uh, really well. And you guys enjoy it. Did you guys, who, who here has already got up and opened all their presents? Some of you. Who here is looking forward to going home and opening the rest of our presents? All right. Well, yeah, we made the kids wait. My boys woke up about 9.45, so they didn't have, you know. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the, the, the narrative of how you were born and, Jesus, how you died on a hill that you created. And, Lord God, that, that in this whole narrative, it's just a humble beginning. And it's very simple, Lord, and, and shrouded in so much drama and confusion around the, the birth of Jesus. And yet, Lord, we see that you had a big picture in mind. And then when things didn't always go so well for Joseph and Mary, they had joy in their hearts because they saw a big picture. And, Lord, I pray for us, Lord, no matter what goes in our lives, whether when we have great days or we have rough days, that we, we keep focused on the big picture of life that, God, you have um, our future in mind, you have a big picture, you have hope for the future, that you love us, you're working in our hearts and lives, and may we find great joy this Christmas in loving you and celebrating with our families, and Lord, we thank you that we get to do this this Sunday, and it'll be another 11 years before we get to do it again, and so Jesus, we're just grateful for today, for our family, for our friends, we pray that you would bless the rest of our Christmas celebration, that you would be honored in all that we say and do, in Jesus' name, and everyone said? Amen. Love you guys. God bless you guys. Merry Christmas. Have a great rest of your day.